Welcome everyone to the Becker CEO plus CFO virtual event. My name is Ayla Ellison and I'm the managing editor of Becker's Hospital Review. I'd like to begin today by thanking our healthcare industry sponsor, Matrix Capital Markets, for participating in and for helping to sponsor our event. I'm pleased to be your moderator for today's discussion on the biggest issues facing health systems in 2021. I'm joined today by three great panelists to discuss this important topic. Our panelists today are from three top organizations from across the country, and I'm excited to hear their insights and thank them for sharing their, their time with us today. Before we dive into our discussion, I'd like to start by having each of our panelists introduce themselves and tell us a little bit more about their organizations. So Paul, can we begin with you today? Sure, thank you, Ayla. My name's Paul King. I'm the president and CEO of the uh, Stanford Children's Health and Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, Stanford. Uh, it's part of the uh, Stanford Medicine uh, Academic Medical Center, which is part of the uh, Stanford University. Our children's hospital has 364 beds. Uh, we have about 65 different sites of care throughout the Bay Area, and we're located here in Northern California. Thank you so much, Paul. And Ruth, I'll turn the floor over to you now. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I'm Ruth Williams Brinkley. I am the president of Kaiser Permanente Mid-Atlantic. We are located in Metro uh, dis District of Columbia, and we cover the states of Maryland and Virginia, as well as the District of Columbia. Um, we have about 770,000 members. We have over 35 uh, locations and growing, and we work with about 1,600 uh, physicians in the Permanente Medical Group. Thank you so much, Ruth. And Stephen? Yes, thank you. Um, I'm Stephen Rosenthal, and I'm the uh, Senior Vice President for uh, Population Health Management for the uh, Montefiore Health System, and I'm also president of our care management company. Uh, Montefiore is in New York, uh, the Bronx to be specific, and uh, we're now a, a 10 hospital system uh, that spans uh, not only the Bronx, but seven additional counties in the Hudson Valley. Um, and our physician network, provider network is um, over 8,400 um, uh, participants uh, in that network and um, have hundreds of locations throughout that geography, um, touching the roughly three and a half million people that live there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. And as today's uh, session is titled, uh, we're going to be discussing the, the top issues for health systems next year. Um, today's session is going to be about 30 minutes and we've decided to divide it up um, and to let each of our panelists um, share what they see as the biggest um, challenges, opportunities, issues um, for 2021. So I'm excited to hear from each of our panelists. I know that you're from your, your markets are diverse and you're, you're facing different challenges and rolling out different initiatives for next year. So I'm excited to hear from each of you. Um, Stephen, can we begin with you today um, just to hear about, you know, at Montefiore, what, you, what you're seeing as the, as the biggest issues uh, for next year? Well, thank you. And, um, you know, to begin with, I think, you know, we're still in the process of recovering from... Um, this uh, virus experience that we've all been going through. The recovery seems to be quite longer than any of us have expected it to be. Uh, but we were the first 
uh, if you recall, in the New York or, or in the uh, United States to have an enormous challenge with that before we knew much about uh, the virus as we learn more today. And um, by the time uh, the um, four months were over, we've uh, discharged over 6,500 uh, patients uh, with COVID. And unfortunately, uh, almost 25% of them passed away during that period of time. So we're rolling out of a very extraordinary period where um, we were closed in terms of any services that we were providing, um, like surgical services, ambulatory services, um, and uh, began a very slow process of beginning to recover and beginning to think about what's different about the future because of the experience that we're going through now. And um, Traditionally, many organizations, as you know, go through a strategic planning process very often. Um, and what we've decided to do as an organization is to do more of a strategic action process for uh, moving forward uh, into the future, thinking through where are the opportunities and what have we learned uh, from our experiences um, in this uh, horrible battle that we've been going through with this virus. And um, I think what we've learned is that we need to be creative and we need to be different. We need to be disruptive. And of course we need to make money. And uh, in our market, the monofuel health system is disproportionately <coughs> government programs. So um, government programs, as you can imagine with uh, the dollars that we've spent through CARES Act and, and other benefits that have gone on to the, uh, the public overall, uh, the governments, both state and federal, are not necessarily um, uh, flush with the opportunity to help institutions financially on a going forward basis. So how can we be creative? So we've engaged the management of our very large system, over 175 individuals, uh, working with a, um, uh, a well-known consulting firm, beginning to develop a process where we can identify opportunities short-term opportunities where we can have an impact tomorrow, somewhat longer where it'll take a week or two, and then somewhat longer than that where it'll take a period of time beyond a few weeks. I use a week or two as a metaphor for very short, a little less than short, and then a little longer. <laughs> and so we've been challenging ourselves and thinking through those key elements of what makes a delivery system important to the population that it services. And the key piece that comes out of this is that we have to focus on the patient. Um, uh, this is a, a, a significant change in many arenas within healthcare. We've not been the best at customer service and we're learning, we're learning from other industries and we need to focus on the needs of the patient. And I think the advancement in technology platforms, particularly with telemedicine, have given us unique opportunities to reach individuals, just like today, having multiple conferences in a digital format where we can meet, uh, reach thousands of individuals uh, quickly and inexpensively uh, and with information that can be useful. And so we've been very focused on the patient. What do the patients need? Uh, bringing things more to the patient versus making patients come to us. Thinking about those elements within a population health strategy that drive cost and challenges for the populations that we service. So uh, dealing with issues around chronic illness, uh, using technology for remote monitoring, 
bringing tools to the patients so that we can give them the benefits of our knowledge much more rapidly, much more uh, efficiently, and begin to think about the fact that um, we can continue to add more and more resources from a people standpoint in our industry, but rather begin to use technology as a, as a leveling tool to get closer to those individuals that are out there. And to begin to actually look at the data and begin to use data to drive our decision-making so that we're, we've got a reference point that we can measure our success against and become a little bit more didactic in that, in that behavior that perhaps we haven't always done uh, within the overall healthcare arena. So we become a lot more um, thoughtful about the process that we're going through and beginning to think more and more about where we can interact with those individuals that can have the most benefit. And then one of the last things that we're struggling with is how do you begin to interact with the payers, the insurance companies and the government, and how do we begin to help and or work with them to bridge some of the challenges that have been historically in place between providers and insurance companies and begin to think about new ways of working together. Um, Value-based contracting has been an important piece um, in the past, going forward into the future, perhaps it needs to be a little bit more focused on opportunity versus just trying to create savings through the avoidance of certain services and beginning to think more creatively about what we can do to segments of the population where we can have a greater impact over time. Healthcare systems don't change, they don't move away, they stay in the communities they serve, maybe they expand, um, but insurance companies and patients uh, move in and out of products, and, but we're always in the same place. And so we need to begin to think about how we can benefit from those relationships. And it's not been an easy um, uh, connection or relationship between health systems and insurance companies in the past. And we need to think creatively about the future. I don't know whether I have more time or whether there's any other questions about that. I, I could ramble on forever, but you can have um, as much time as you'd like, and we oh, okay. look forward to hearing from you. And I think that um, we'll we'll kind of move the conversation around, and then we'll we'll see if if there's any overlap or any difference, and then I'll I'll follow up with each of you with some questions. Um, so kind of just looking at ways to expand technology to make care more patient centered, expand access, and also just looking for new ways to um, work with payers. And I'm just wondering um, quickly before we, Ruth, I'll, I'll have you chime in next, but Stephen, um, as far as working with payers um, in new ways, have you, I know that some of the insurance companies have, you know, rolled out new flexibilities with the COVID-19 emergency. Have you found that throughout the pandemic, it's been, um, I don't know, I don't want to say easier to work with payers, but have you found that um, you're bridging that gap at all during the pandemic? Or is this something that you're you're looking into 2021 as, as, as a big challenge? Well, actually the, the direction that we are moving toward is really creating a partnership with a health plan and recognizing that we don't need to be partners with every health plan in our market. And um, that immediately began to change the overall thinking. And what a partnership means to me and to our organization is that there's a reciprocity uh, between um, uh, the exchange of both information and uh, financial transparency, and that we work together towards improving the health of the population that we're servicing. 
together in, in, a, in a partnership, almost as though we're in a joint venture. And um, we've been able to successfully do that with two very large plans in our marketplace. And uh, the other health plans um, are not interested in that kind of a model. And so uh, over time, I suspect what will happen is that they'll become less and less important to us uh, as time passes. Uh, perhaps not immediately, but, but over time, uh, they, um, they won't be the uh, integrated partner that we're hoping to build a relationship long-term. If we were all Kaiser, we'd be in much better shape <laughs> because we have the benefit of uh, being both delivery system and the insurance company. And um, very often we were um, often uh, characterized as Kaiser light in that we've been in the uh, risk business for some 21 years taking uh, capitation. Um, and, um, but we didn't have the flexibility and the opportunity to be as creative as I think uh, Ruth and, and her folks have been able to be over the years. So, but we're, we're learning and we're hoping to get there soon. Absolutely, thank you so much, Stephen. And so that's a good segue into our, our next panelist here, um, which uh, everyone knows Kaiser Permanente has is such a model that so many systems try to emulate and, and work toward. Um, so Ruth, I, I wanna hear from you. What, what are you seeing as the biggest issues uh, for your system next year? Thank you. And thank you, Stephen, for that nice setup. Um, <laughs> we are integrated. We provide, we're a, a, a payer, a health plan, and we are also providers of care. And so uh, we're integrated in that, in, in that regard, which, which makes it, uh, it makes it nice for our members. Um, I, I thought about five issues that uh, I think are the things that I see coming forward. First of all, I, you couldn't get away with not talking about the virus. Um, it is here and it's impacted every aspect of our lives. So that that is, is, is you know, these are not in any particular order, but I think that would probably be uh, number one. Um, uh, number two is uh, health equity. Um, we, we really are struggling in, in this country with health equity and the virus has has really made it very clear that, uh, that that's a struggle for us as a country, as an industry, because we find those people who are designated as essential workers having struggled and, 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 and people of color have struggled through this virus more, more than others. And so I, I would say health equity. And so we need to figure out a way uh, to provide access to people um, and provide them with, with health care and with access to their social needs as well. Because many of the things that end up as social needs, uh, as health needs, I'm sorry, start out as social needs, housing, food, safety. Um, and in, because of the pandemic and really before the pandemic, I think the pandemic has exacerbated the issue we're seeing people with not enough food, people who can't pay their rent. Um, and then the landlords who can't make their mortgages in, in many cases because they're not getting the rents. And so that's, that's a problem. And, and people are just fearful of, of basic needs um, and, and fearful of meeting their basic needs and the needs of their families. So health equity, just generalized equity, um, and what has occurred in terms of racial unrest in the country 
has ended up impacting the healthcare industry as well. So, so I would say that's number two. And the third thing I would look at would be what I'm gonna talk about healthcare, called healthcare worker safety. Uh, we have our healthcare workers, physicians, nurses, therapists, and others uh, who work in the healthcare environment. And um, we certainly need to protect them. And I believe that uh, most of our providers are doing everything. I would say all of our providers are doing everything we can to protect, protect our healthcare workers, physically protect them because as we've seen and, and read more recently in the last few days, few weeks that the, the virus is resurging again. And so um, helping people with, uh, with uh, physical safety, but I would also include uh, psychological and emotional safety for our healthcare workers. Um, there's tremendous stress and, and tremendous strain on workers as they deal with, uh, with the, the illness, the, the sickness and, and the deaths and protecting themselves. So I would say uh, healthcare worker safety, both physical and uh, psychological. The third thing I would say is just mental health for everyone. Uh, people are isolated. Um, you know, they're worried about the things I mentioned earlier, the social and, and uh, uh, psychological needs of how, the, how they take care of their children, especially parents who are trying to do their jobs and at the same time try to be homeschoolers and uh, educate their children if their children are old enough for school. If not, they're at home. If their children are going to school, they are worried if they're, going to, they're, they're safe physically and psychologically. So that would be the, uh, the fourth thing. And I would say, you know, the other issue I would, would say is the issue, my fifth issue, is the need to expand our technology, particularly virtual health, uh, telehealth. Um, it's here, we, we have to figure out how to use it, not only for the pandemic, but we need to build a technology, technology infrastructure so that we have what we need to see patients in the home who don't need to go to a physical location. So those are, I mean, I could go on and on. There are several other issues, but as I think about it, those are the five most pressing ones that I see right now. And those are some, definitely some, I, I know that you could, you have so many more you could share, but I think you picked five really great ones talking about health equity, worker safety is such an important issue, especially right now. Um, and of course, uh, really relevant, re expanding access with, with telehealth and telemedicine. So thank you so much, Ruth, for sharing your insights. And Paul, I want to turn the floor over to you now to share what you're seeing as some of the biggest issues um, heading into next year. Uh, thank you, Elaine. Thank you, uh, Ruth and Stephen, for sharing your thoughts. Um, as we were saying sort of before we, we joined the, the conference here this, uh, today, uh, a lot of these issues obviously overlap and, and we're sharing uh, these same challenges no matter where we might be in the country. Uh, when I think about the assignment we were given in terms of talking about those issues most pressing for health systems, uh, certainly COVID overrides pretty much everything that we've talked about. Uh, I think all of the five, five areas of focus that Ruth just shared uh, have an overlay of COVID sort of shadowing over them. And when Stephen was talking about uh, strategic action, I like that Stephen, as opposed to strategic planning, uh, how do we actually plan for the unknown? Uh, 
And so I think there are many things around COVID uh, that uh, there is ripe for sort of lessons learned. And uh, we certainly have many of those here uh, at Stanford. Uh, what I had jotted down in terms of thoughts, uh, we're primarily focused on COVID, but when you think about sort of coming up above the fray, because we could spend all day uh, talking about the different aspects of COVID. Uh, but I think COVID is, is sort of uh, the implication for the overall economy, as well as um, uh, healthcare reform. Uh, we've just uh, uh, come through a, a fairly active political season. And uh, we know that uh, regardless of, of how that uh, sort of settles out over time, healthcare reform is gonna be something that all of us are gonna have to deal with uh, very directly. Uh, but getting back to COVID, uh, Stephen mentioned that uh, the East Coast in New York specifically uh, was hard hit early on in terms of uh, the virus. Uh, some of the initial cases were actually reported more on the West Coast in uh, the Seattle and uh, in Northern California areas. Uh, so our early experience with that led us to take some actions in terms of standing up uh, testing as well as um, uh, implementing some of the first shelter in place orders uh, that have now become all too common across the country. Uh, as we look at how do we keep, and to your point, Ruth, uh, worker safety and quite frankly, community safety, all of those issues remain uh, first and foremost in our thoughts as we look at 2021. I think the fatigue that our staff is beginning to feel, and that gets to your mental health concerns, Ruth, um, and just the fatigue, they've been on edge for so long that it's pretty tough uh, to keep that level of, of, of uh, sort of diligence uh, just continued uh, month after month after month. Uh, so we're trying to uh, make sure that our staff stays safe. Uh, we had some concerns early on in the pandemic around whether or not we had sufficient PPE. Uh, I know that's a spotty question across the country, uh, but here, at least in our health system, we've, we've been able to uh, sustain uh, our resources uh, to not only keep our, our patients safe, but also our caregivers who are, are charged with uh, caring for them. Uh, the, as we think through uh, the implications of COVID uh, going forward, uh, when earlier on in the, in the uh, pandemic, when we were all asked to stand down our non-urgent cases back in March and April, uh, that had a devastating impact on us uh, in terms of our volume, as well as our revenues. Uh, now, Ruth would be interesting to hear how that played out with Kaiser, uh, since you guys are, are more sort of across the entire spectrum of not only being a health plan, but also a provider. Uh, but for those of us who rely on the lifeblood of a revenue stream coming from others, uh, that had a significant impact on us. Uh, now, the good news is, as we saw uh, the months pass by, uh, beginning uh, probably, I would say, in late May, we began to see some recovery. And through, through the summer, we saw our volumes return uh, to the point that where we are currently, uh, we're back to almost pre-COVID level of activity in our inpatient and outpatient areas. Uh, the couple of areas that have been slow to return have been um, the emergency department, uh, as well as some of our primary care areas. Uh, but overall, top line, I think we've been able to uh, return uh, back to some sense of um, normal volumes. Uh, now, how long that will last, uh, we don't know as we, we are in the midst of a, what appears to be a third wave currently, as we look at the number of increasing cases and hospitalizations across the country. Uh, those uh, impacts are different, I know, in different markets. 
but as a country, I know that we're, we're dealing with um, what appears to be another surge in, in activity. So not knowing how that's going to play out, uh, particularly in the same, same area as we are dealing with potential flu, uh, we are cautious in terms of our ability to remain safe in terms of for our patients and their families, but also for our staff. So I think that's something we have to keep a close eye on. Uh, Ruth mentioned also the uh, absolute uh, significant impact that uh, an awakening, uh, I, I don't know if it's an awakening, it's been with us for 400 years, but uh, a, more of a recognition that we have to do something around racial injustice. And I don't think that those issues are inseparable as we also try to deal with the virus, uh, because I think those inequities that we see within healthcare also are at play uh, there as well. Uh, I think that has impacts for how we address COVID, quite frankly, and uh, what we do with our workforce. Uh, so I, I think uh, those are some things that uh, we are looking at in terms of uh, the impacts. From a technology standpoint, I think Ruth and Stephen both uh, mentioned uh, the significant uptake in terms of virtual visits. We saw that we went from pretty much zero to close to 80% of our, our visits being uh, provided uh, virtually. Uh, literally overnight, back to uh, Stephen's point about today, next week, and longer. Uh, if you had told us that we had to stand up 80% of our outpatient visits uh, to be virtual in less than a week, I would have told you that would be impossible. Uh, impossible has now been redefined uh, during this era of COVID. Uh, things that we didn't think were possible absolutely happened. Uh, if we were looking back over the past uh, year uh, to just to articulate and to catalog those things that we were able to accomplish. If those were our goals on our, in our incentive plans, I think we would be accused of being uh, insane to assume that we achieve those things. But uh, with retrospect, I think we've, uh, we've been a pretty amazing industry looking back. Uh, the other challenge that I think we're gonna have in 2021 is really making the case for healthcare. I think as the country, um, looks at the significant challenges that we're having across all industries. Uh, and we know firsthand what's going on in healthcare, but it's a hard story to explain to people who are not in the industry, uh, particularly uh, for our small businesses who are, are suffering in terms of uh, literally being out of business. Uh, and I think as we look at the significant impacts we've seen economically on our financial health, uh, it's all relative, but I think that's gonna be a story still yet to be told. Uh, in the coming year, particularly in 2021. So I'll stop there and maybe we can get into some back and forth at this point, Ida. Yeah. <clears throat> I think you raised some very interesting challenges. Um, have you noticed or have you thought about uh, what, will there be differences next year with regard to um, how um, you focus on the uh, uh, po children population? Um, are, are there any uh, awarenesses that you've come up with during this period of time that are forcing you to think differently? Because one of the things you said that struck me too is you mentioned that your primary care volume has not necessarily returned to where it was pre-COVID. And we've experienced the same thing, but yet the specialty volume is pretty close to where it was. It's off by just a little bit. And um, I find that kind of interesting in a way. I don't have an explanation for it necessarily, but since uh, your world um, uh, is um, with more, you know, children, I think perhaps you might have some thought on what that might be related to. I, I think part of that, Stephen, is if you think about it, it's, it's those things that can be deferred. 
So I think some of our uh, more acute subspecialty uh, needs uh, require uh, quicker intervention. That's and those things that, you know, I'm feeling fine. I, there's really no reason for me to go and have that taken care of right now. Right. Those are the things that are being deferred. For kids, we need to make sure they stay current with their vaccinations and things like that, because that has a, a public health implication for it as well. And I think you're seeing that also on the adult side. It's those things that can be deferred or continuing to be deferred. But we did some outreach um, in terms of, uh, from a marketing standpoint, uh, not only to our referring physician base, uh, but also directly to the consumer, directly to the families and patients, letting them know that it actually is safe to come back into hospitals. Hospitals are some of the safest places you can be, uh, given the extraordinary efforts that we've taken uh, with PPE and, and distancing and restrictions of, of visitors and, and things like that. So I think some of that outreach uh, certainly played a role in terms of a really a V-shaped curve in terms of the return of our surgical volumes and some of our subspecialty work. Uh, but the emergency department, which, as we all know, is the site of primary care for many people. Uh, so I think some of that drop off in the emergency department visit uh, is, is some of that primary care not being provided in the ED. But we do know, and those of you in adult health could probably speak more intelligently to this than I can, in terms of some of the literal delayed care that has been harmful for our adult friends in terms of showing up too late with heart, heart conditions or stroke or or things like that. So I think there's still some a room for us to improve our strategic action, Stephen, in terms of uh, mm -hmm. reaching out to our communities to let them know that uh, it is safe for them to care for themselves. And mm -hmm. I, I know at Kaiser, it's all about keeping every people help everyone healthy. So how yeah. do we do? Yeah. So so Paul, um, uh, thank you for uh, mentioning that you had asked in your earlier comments um, how were things going at Kaiser. So uh, our our members, uh, as you know, many of the municipalities shut down elective surgeries and elective procedures when we, when the pandemic was declared. And so with us, we're getting our, we focus on health, but there are still people, many, some of our members, many of our members who need procedures done, who need uh, testing procedures done, they, especially if they have chronic conditions. So our goal has been to get everybody in for their elective procedures and for their assessments and for their tests. And uh, it has been a struggle to some degree because people are afraid to come into uh, healthcare facilities as you mentioned. Um, and so we've had a lot of outreach, calling people, trying to get them to come in. We've done a lot of home visits to try to do assessments at home uh, for those who don't uh, have to come in for a procedure. So we've had to try a variety of approaches um, and that has been for both adults and children. And um, the other area that we've seen is the escalating need for mental health care services. Uh, that has just, um, just escalated tremendously, um, you know, because of some of the reasons we mentioned earlier. But I, I think it it would be um, appropriate to say that people are struggling because of the economy, because of illness and disease uh, of their loved ones and in deaths in many cases. And so we've seen an increasing need for uh, psychological and mental health care services. So we, we've tried, we are, we're trying to meet all of those needs and we've set some goals to have that backlog 
of people that were waiting to come in and, and get their procedures done or to get their tests done. And so we're, we're moving that backlog down. Um, our goal was to try to get that done before another resurgence. And, and we're, we're working on it, but uh, and I think we'll get there. But it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of work, a lot of teamwork to get people in. I, I think that, you know, this conversation, obviously, we, I feel like it could go on for hours and hours talking about the challenges of this year and then heading into next year. It's just a, a unique circumstance. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it, it's been, you know, I know there's a lot of challenges ahead, but it's also great to hear from each of you um, about your organizations, what you're doing to address these issues now. And I look forward to talking to you again next year and hearing about um, progress that you've made. Um, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for our session today, but once again, thank you to all of our panelists for taking time out of their incredibly busy schedules to share their insights with us today. And I also want to thank all of our attendees today for joining us, and please let us know if you have any questions or feedback or comments, and we look forward to having you join us for future Becker's events. <laughs>